0: northview church hey good morning welcome those of you joining us online hey good morning happy sunday who here is ready to worship and focus on our god amen with that attitude let's stand together and worship
1: I
0: Christmas series we're talking a lot about hope right and I was kind of just meditating on the idea of hope this week and preparing for this morning and something that brings me hope on a personal level is when I can look back and see the amazing things God has done when you look back on your own testimony you know you can see oh my goodness God has been faithful up to this point so why would he not be faithful from this point forward right so when we look back we can have hope just in what God has already done. I was reading Psalms 119 this morning and a couple uh, little phrases I picked out of there. You, O Lord, your promises have been thoroughly tested and I have put my hope in your word. So as we sing this next song, let's focus on the faithfulness of God that we have seen in our lives and the lives in the world around us and that can give us hope for the future.
1: I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days have been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will see of the goodness of God. Your
2: voice, you
1: have led me through the fire, in the darkest night, you are close like no other, I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God.
0: You are so incredibly good. And this morning, we just give you thanks for you as we celebrate the gift of your life and your love and your beauty this morning, this Christmas season, God. We just stand in awe of who you are and what you have done. So this morning, I specifically and especially want to ask over our church for a renewed heart and mind as we look to you, God. And may you, our God of hope fill us with joy and peace in believing so that by the Spirit's power we may abound in hope through you. We offer all of this to you for your glory and in the precious name of Jesus we all say amen. You may be seated.
3: Well good morning everybody. Merry Christmas to you whether you're here in person or joining us online. Uh, Thank you for being part of today. Uh, as you know, we have paused our series on the book of Philippians, and we are, uh, we're in the middle, as Esther said, of our Christmas series. And we want to invite you to stay plugged in, to stay tuned in throughout the month of December. May this time be uh, an encouragement as we talk about the birth of Jesus. And we especially want to invite you uh, on Christmas Eve, 3 and 5 o'clock, in person or online, to, to be part of Christmas Eve together. Uh, However you're comfortable, if you're comfortable being here in person, or if you'd rather stay home, uh, we just don't want you to do Christmas alone. So please be plugged in, be part of it. Uh, And one of the good news about this time of year is we're so focused on Christmas uh, that that is our main announcement this morning. So it makes my job a little bit easier. Uh, So as we shift to talk about giving, we just wanted to remind you uh, that the end of the year is coming, so if you are waiting to... Do end-of-year donations for anything to count for your 2020 taxes. Uh, You've got just a couple of weeks left to do that, whether it be on Sundays, online, or mail-in, however you want to get that. Thank you for the generosity that you have shown us this year. It's been absolutely incredible. Uh, Thank you for partnering with us in ministry during this year. We're blown away each and every week. But on the business side, I want to remind you of that 2020 deadline is coming, Uh, so be prepared for that. Uh, Let's go before the Lord this morning in prayer. Jesus, we do. We thank you for the generosity of this church, and it's been an absolutely incredible year to do the things that we've been able to do uh, and make some of the moves in ministry that we've been able to move and the people we've been able to help, and it's centered on people faithfully and obediently giving. Lord, may we end the year well. May we end the year in a way that honors you. Be with us this morning, whether we're here or on, online, wherever we are, Lord. May you reach us and may you connect with us this Christmas season. In your son's name, amen. Now, we do have, I guess I was wrong, we have one more announcement uh, that I'm going to invite Pastor Steve up, and I'm going to ask that the middle school students uh, just hang out. Steve will let you know when to leave in a minute, but Steve, come on up.
4: Your mic, too. i will go to wipe it off. Bring it back. Hurry. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. How are you? Let me pull this up. There we go. Forgot to do that. Um, One of the things that COVID has done is... uh, if you're watching online this, or if you're new this morning here, uh, by the way, it's really weird. Everybody wearing masks, you don't know who's new and who's old. <laughs> kind of different. But if, if you're here, one of the things is that transitions are hard because you don't know, thank you, bro. You don't know who's coming or who's going or what the Lord's been doing. And we have two really significant transitions here as a, a family uh, for Northview. So the first one is going to be a saying goodbye, and the second one is going to be saying hello. So we're going to do that this morning. So I'm going to ask my beloved friends, uh, the selfs, come on up, Kevin and Rachel and Bob and the, who's else coming up with that? is Isaac coming up? Or is he just going to sit there and be cool? <laughs> Isaac's going to sit there and be cool? Awesome. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> uh, hey, there's a speed limit. These guys have been a part of our fellowship for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, it goes way past that. Ke- Kevin was a kid in the youth group way back in the day, and, and he's old, which is good for him and bad for me. And, uh, but uh, they're going to be making a move, so I'm going to just give the mic to Kevin and uh, let him tell you what their adventure is.
5: Yeah, thank you, Steve. So you know, we've learned that life is kind of full of seasons, and we're entering into a new one for us. And so we are going to be moving to CUNA, Idaho, at the end of the month, which if you don't know where CUNA is, it's just outside Boise. So um, things have happened quickly for us. God has opened doors tremendously. Uh, But we wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to Northview. We have some incredible friendships that we're leaving behind. Um, Our kids as well, they've invested deeply in some, and it's been tough. But these seasons are, what we're looking forward to is what God's paving the path, and we are incredibly grateful of what he has led us to do and we know that's not a goodbye forever. We'll be back in town. We have family here so we'll be visiting when we come back in town so you'll see our faces. You can't give us that easily Steve. So but uh, we want to thank Northview for being that uh, rock in our life during the season we've been here and we are looking for a church like this in Idaho. We hope that God blesses us with another church uh, of this caliber. So thank you.
4: So if if you're watching online this morning specifically, you will not have a chance to be able to hug on them and say goodbye, so we want to make sure that you just know that you can write them a note or email them or text them and, and you know, make that connect that way. Let's stand and let's pray for them together, all right? Father, thank you for everything that these guys have been for our body life here and the time together. They have been core, they've been intricate, they've been a part of everything that has happened. And Lord, we're so grateful for them. We're so grateful that uh, you brought them to us, that it's been a wonderful season. Lord, we ask your favor on the transition. We ask your favor on the move. We ask the move. You never know how much junk you got till you decide to move, Lord. Help them with all that. Help them uh, get there cleanly. And we, we seek you for them as they negotiate the last details and try to figure out how to actually get there. Lord, we lift that up to you and pray that you will quickly and wisely lead them to another fellowship that they can participate in and bring life to as well. And so we give that to you in your name and ask this, Lord Jesus, amen. All right, let's give them a hand. And the reason, by the way, that Bob is up here with them is he's going with them. To post also, make sure you say hi to Bob. Now, that was a goodbye. Those are never easy, right? But now we have a hello. It's been a rather delayed hello because of certain circumstances, but James and Sarah Lund are here this morning with us. Yes. So come on, guys, come on up. And this is the posse. So the That's JJ. This is my buddy Hudson. And that's Caleb. Yeah. Here we go. We're going to let you bring greetings and say hi.
6: I just want to say thank you. What a blessing this community has been to us over the years as you guys have stood with us for almost 15 years now in missions and adopted us as our home church back in 2008. And now our home church that we're joining as permanently and we are just so excited to be here we are so grateful i mean we have been moved to tears so many times in the last month as we've uh, the outpouring of support from text messages and emails and calls and visits from socially distanced and those dropping off things and for everyone that made such incredible sacrifices oh. to help us out in our transition mm-hmm. we have felt home even though we've been Put at arm's length, um, and so we are grateful. Our purgatory is over. We've uh, more than doubled the CDC recommendation just for hyper vigilance for anyone that may be concerned. And apparently, I'm now, we're now some of the safest people to be around. So we have a few months of immunity at least. But um, we are grateful to be finally jumping back into the community and able to serve this community and get to know one, you, you all. But uh, it is harder to do that with masks. As we, I mean, the people we've known from the past. I just keep going. Like Shannon, where's where Shannon right now? I was, I, the other last week I was here, a few weeks ago, I was here with, uh, with Shannon, I, I was looking for Shannon, but there's a few other guys in our community that are also of similar build, bald, and it was the third person that I said Shannon to was actually Shannon, <laughs> and that's the guy I'm working with, so, um, it's, give us some grace as we try and get names right in the midst of masks and stuff and so we might just do uh, name tags on the forehead for a little while or something for people but we'll
4: see there we go that's fantastic all right here's what we're going to do normally we would bring the elder board up we'd bring the staff up right we'd all lay hands and pray because of circumstance we can't do this so what we're going to do is we're going to stand here this morning if you're at home watching i'd encourage you to stand as well and we're just going to raise hands to the lord And I'm just going to anoint James and Sarah for service uh, here in their season at Northview. So let's do this before the Lord. Father God, we pray, we seek you, we are grateful. It has been an amazing, incredible journey just to get to this moment. Lord, and uh, there were several miracles that happened that allowed this moment to take place and we are incredibly in debt to you for that. Lord, as it begins... We seek you for a great beginning. We ask that you would enmesh James and Sarah into our fellowship, that they would bring life, that they would uh, bring skill. And Lord, that we would be a blessing to them as well. And we pray that the benefit will be that there is more momentum for your kingdom, more momentum for Mill Creek, more momentum for the gospel, Lord. And we lift this up to you. And in that spirit, Lord, we take oil, which is a symbol of your Holy Spirit. And we're going to anoint them in the name of the Father Thanks. and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Thanks. and do the same for you, Sarah. In the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, may Your Spirit be upon them. Thanks. And we give this to You. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. All right, give them a hand. You may be seated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, JJ. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, we are in a series called uh, The Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices, very appropriate for the Christmas season. Oh, middle school, go. (laughs) Thanks, Rob. (laughs) Too many things in a morning, you know? Uh, That's good. All right, so again, we're in our Christmas series, The Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. Last week, we covered uh, hope for the Jews, and many of you came up to me and said, I've never heard that preached before on an Easter thing, and I'm glad that it caught your attention because God loves the Jewish people, and he's going to redeem the Jewish people, and that's his business, right? But today, we're going to talk about the hope for the Gentiles, and uh, as I said last week, that'd be us, and so we're going to cover that. Next week, we'll cover hope for the church, and then Christmas Eve, we're going to cover hope for the future, so... Before we begin, let's pray this morning and seek the Lord's blessing, all right? Father, you say to come to you. You say to reach out to you. You say to call out to you and ask for your blessing, and we do this morning. Lord, for those here, for those at home, um, we lift it up to you and ask, Lord, during this season that we would anchor well in you and that these promises that uh, today we're going to look at for the Gentiles, Lord, and the situation that they were in, we seek you that you would um, give us understanding of uh, how grateful we should be as a people for your immense heart to include us in the story of your gospel. We owe you a phenomenal, phenomenal debt of love. and We ask for your favor this morning, the presence of your spirit. Dialogue with us as we go through this, and we give that to you in great hope. And all God's people said, amen. All right. So this morning, one of the things we should start with is what is a Gentile, right? Because we we throw these terms around and a lot of times we don't totally know what they mean. A Gentile is a non-circumcised person who is outside the covenant blessings of Abraham. If you remember, God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and nations and kings will come from you. And and that uh, God was going to build a nation uh, that was his chosen people. Uh, and then outside of that were the Gentile nations. Within a Gentile, there's a subcategory. There's actually two subcategories. One is called the sojourner, all right? Uh, You've probably heard that if you've read through the Old Testament. You've heard that term before. And a sojourner is uh, two different types. The first one is a foreigner who is visiting the country for some period of time, also called an alien, So you you remember in Exodus, be kind to the sojourner and the alien. That would be the first type. The second type is a foreigner who's come to live in Israel and has attached themselves not only to the nation, but to the worship of Yahweh as well. They have come because they have watched Israel and watched God work among Israel and said, I want to be a part of that. And they have attached themselves. And so... Uh, They were called sojourners. And then there's a third category that we pick up in the New Testament, which is known as a God-fearer. And a God-fearer were those who had what I would call a God-given predisposition or a God-given searching heart for God. In other words, they just naturally inclined and bent that way and they were looking for God even though they didn't know what they were looking for or that who they were looking for, they moved in that direction. And so when we're talking about Gentiles, you have all these categories uh, that fit in. When it comes to a God-fearer, there are examples of Rahab. Remember the lady that hid the spies? Then there's Ruth. We know that story quite well. And then in the New Testament, Cornelius would be uh, an example of a God-fearer. So these are the the, the types or the categories there. Deuteronomy 10 says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, still is today, by the way, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And you can see an old principle at work here, uh, what the Lord's doing. You were once sojourners in Egypt. Remember how that went how that felt? <laughs> right? And he's saying, so then, okay, look, be kind to the sojourner because you were once one yourself. And so Israel was to be a haven for the sojourner and a light to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 49, God says this, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant? He's talking to Israel. To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And we should comment or point out, that's always been God's heart. God's heart is that none should perish, that all would come to salvation. He's always been looking for people. He's still looking, despite all the brouhaha you hear today, he's still looking for people, okay? And there are people responding all over this planet. You never see that in the news. You never hear that in the news. But it is happening in proportionate today, far greater than it's ever happened in the history of the world, okay? And, and we just don't get a chance to hear that. Uh, Michael Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm, gives us a, a fantastic insight into this passage that we're looking at here. At the Tower of Babel, the nations were not only scattered, but then we find out they were put under the control of lesser Elohim. And then they themselves, the Elohim, became corrupted, and thus they were disinherited by Yahweh. But God had a plan. He would win them back. And to do that, he would start with one person, And from that one person, he would forge a nation that would be his missionary tool for the world. So God took Abraham and would make from him a nation, a nation that would be his people under his rules. This nation was to be a unique nation. It was to be a special nation. It would be a prosperous nation. God said they would be at the top of the heap. And it would be a holy and godly nation. God said people will come from all over just to see what is going on here. Wow, why is this happening to you as a nation? And this nation then would be a light to all the other nations of the world and draw them, draw them back to Yahweh and draw them uh, back to the worship of Him. And this nation uh, that would draw back all the other nations uh, would take all those nations that had been disinherited at the Tower of Babel and it the, the, it would be the servant of Yahweh that was, was spoken of in Isaiah 42 that would draw it back. That's a fantastic picture, right? But uh, as in all things on this planet, something went wrong. Oops, right? There was a twist. Rather than being the servant, Israel became proud and arrogant about being the chosen, and rather than help the other nations, they began to look down on them and despise them. Uh, Their term for the Gentile was very telling. Uh, They were called dogs, right? Very complimentary. They began to see them as adversaries and enemies to be guarded against and separated from, and it should be pointed out, not without reason, right? If you've read the Old Testament, you've seen this, you understand, boy, it was a, a tough deal We, most of us this morning, would be from the line of these Gentile nations. All right, so if you trace your ancestry back, um, we would be in the line of, of these people. Paul highlights then the predicament that these nations found themselves in. Okay, so we're talking now about the Gentile nations outside the promises of Israel and outside the promises of Abraham. Ephesians 2 spells this out really clearly. Says this, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's just quickly look at those four categories. Here's the Gentile position in terms of standing before God. The first thing, they are separated from Christ. In other words, joy to the world, the Lord has come, not for them. They had been outside of that until the Lord came. That's why Jesus' coming is such a big deal. Literally, uh, this is the status of the 70 dispersed nations at the Tower of Babel. They're on the outside. Alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel. We've used that term. What does that mean? Well, they were not a part of the covenant nation of Israel and thus alienated. That would mean dispersed from, pushed away, uh, ostracized, outside the camp, uh, alienated. Uh, you can use any of those kind of words or terms. Uh, it, it, have you ever been on the outside? Right? There's a group of friends or something, or you remember in junior high and high school, and you'd be in the in group. For the first week, and then you were suddenly out, right? And and you felt alienated, right? This is the position of the Gentiles. They were on the outside looking in. The third one is strangers to the covenants of promise. Uh, They were not the inheritors of the promise. Uh, Being from outside the covenant, there was no promise for them, right? They, They were really stuck. They had no way to engage or get in. And then number four, having, and this is probably the most desperate words probably penned in Scripture, having no hope and without God in the world. That's fine, go do whatever you want. I ain't going to make any hill a difference. And you can feel that. There's this ultimate frightening conclusion. They had no hope and were without God in the world. You know, our world today says, we don't want you, God. And God is a gentleman. He will let them go. And it's a frightening proposition when you think of eternity and you think about that this life is very temporary and very short compared to eternity. But that's where the Gentiles found themselves. The the Bible paints the picture of people walking in great darkness and thus develop what the Bible calls the great dividing wall of hostility, okay? If you think the Gentiles are going to take this laying down, not so much, right? And so between the Jew and the Gentile be- became this friction, this hostility, this, uh, this battle that, that uh, shaped up between the Jew and the Gentiles uh, and the surrounding nations of the world. To the Jews, the Gentiles were heathen, godless, uncircumcised dogs that were always a threat to God and his people. To the Gentiles, the Jews were this prickly, difficult to understand, harder to get along with, self-righteous, arrogant, and irascible people. Kind of the attitude of the Gentiles is if that's what God's like, you can have him. If what I see working through you is what God's like, I I want anything to do with him. And you can see, you can feel the tension when you read the Old and New Testaments, right? That's one of the things about reading through the Bible. You pick up on this stuff, and you can feel that. I mean, it comes through the stories. You can feel the irritation factor that's located within Scripture. But for the Gentile nations, I mean, they could be this way, but this was a disaster because they were walking, as we said, in great darkness. They they had no way to get in. They were trapped, imprisoned, uh, cut off. Uh, a, a picture, I was trying to come up, I think pictures are always really good, and I was trying to come up with a picture, and I remembered a story from about 10 years ago. Do you remember uh, 10 years ago, there was the Chilean mining disaster? Do you remember that story where there was a mine is about 500 miles north of Santiago, Chile, and uh, they were in there, and there was uh, a cave in the mine, And they have certain safe spots within the mine. And so these miners managed, there were 33 of them, managed to find themselves in a cave uh, inside that mine. And uh, they found that there were some food rations there that was enough for just a couple days. And so the world began to desperately watch and seek and try to figure out a way how to rescue these miners. You'll see pictures of this on the screen uh, behind me. But these 33 miners were trapped more than a half a mile underground. That's a lot of rock and dirt. Okay? Just figure out how far a half mile is then go straight down and you kind of got the picture how far below the surface you really are. And that's how far they were underground when the mine that they were working in collapsed. Uh, the situation was beyond desperate. The Chilean government, along with mining companies from around the world, began to devise a plan to rescue the men. And the first thing that they did was they took and drilled a small borehole down to the men from which they could lower food and medicines for the men. And you think, oh, see, that wasn't that big a deal. They just drilled down, they dropped some stuff down, the guys are fine. That little drill hole, borehole that they made, took them 17 days to drill that hole, right? So you can imagine if you're the guys down below Things are getting pretty desperate. If you got food for like two days and you've stretched it out, you still haven't got 17 days. And so they were in desperate situation. And then a shaft was driven down and inside the shaft was an elevator that was capable of rescuing one miner at the time. And you're thinking, oh, that's not too bad. We got an elevator here in church. You press the button, go in, you can fit a bunch of people in there, you go up to the second floor. Cool. No, no, no. This shaft, was 21 inches wide, right? Now, if you're familiar with Chilean men, they're usually short and stocky, right? They're pretty big in the shoulders. So imagine even just me. I'm not a big guy, okay? But I'm fairly wide across the shoulders. This is more than 21 inches, right? So you're either going in like this or you're going in like this, right? Exhale, I am exhaled, right? Ah, that's, that's a near, and think about that. You're in that little cubby hole and you have to go a half a mile up through a rock, through this chute, hoping that it gets you there. Just think about that for a second. 21 inches wide. Uh, if you want to, they actually have cardboard tubes that are that big and you could try fitting yourself in one of those and see how it would work. The shaft, um, by the way, the parallels of this incident to the gospel are unbelievable, just amazing, Um, and and the the issue of, you know, the arrival of Jesus and why this is such a big deal. Uh, Let me show you some of these. Take the shaft, okay? So here's the problem. There was only one way out, and it was narrow. It wasn't like they had options. I don't like your stupid shaft. I want a bigger elevator. Right? Likewise, the, the way to the kingdom of God is narrow also. It is only through Jesus. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way that is easy to de- that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those, and, and those who find it are few. What if the miners looked at it and said, well, I'm not going into that. I want a better model. I want to upgrade. That's a Chevy. I want a Mercedes Benz. I'm not, I'm not crawling in there. How, How do I know you'll get me to the top? How do I know I won't get stuck halfway up? And of course, they're saying, well, there's no other way out. This is the only option you've really got. No way. Too narrow. Too confining. I'll stay down here. Now, obviously, right? When you're thinking that through, that makes no sense whatsoever. And obviously, those Chilean miners would have gone any way possible to get out of there, right? Because their circumstance was immediate. They knew they were trapped. They knew there was no way out. They knew they were going to die. They were looking for hope. And they would take any shot at hope that they could possibly find. And that's what, uh, you know, comes through to this. The problem in our world, the problem with our context is most of the time, we don't realize we're trapped. We don't realize we're stuck. We don't realize we're walking in darkness. We just think, oh, it's going along good. It's going along just fine. There's only one way out of that mind, which had now become a prison. And they were wise enough to choose the way out. And the question this morning is, are you? Have you chosen the way out? Have you chosen the way out from sin and death that came when we call Christmas this baby named Jesus who would become the Messiah, who would die on the cross for our sins, who would uh, pay for your sins and pay for my sins and would give the promise of eternal life? The question this morning is this. When Jesus comes to you and says that he wants to rescue you and save you from an eternity in hell, But to get out, you must go through him. Do you decline or do you accept? The answer is critical. Maybe with all the stuff that's happening in our culture, you're beginning to rethink Jesus' offer to rescue you. Down here ain't looking so good as it was two years ago. A lot messier and could get worse. You're starting to think, you know what, maybe... Maybe I should start paying attention. You know, to get saved, the miners had to submit. What do I mean by that? They had to agree to get in that narrow shaft and trust that the people at the top would pull them out. They actually had to step into that narrow 21-inch elevator. It wasn't about whether it was comfortable. It wasn't about whether it was easy. It was about, would they step in? They had to step in to that elevator and they had to trust it to bring them to the surface. Likewise, it's the same for us. To accept the offer, we must submit and then cry out in faith for God to rescue us. And that can happen this morning. I'm just going to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we seek you this morning. We know you're at work. There may be someone this morning, either here or online, who has been listening. Not just this morning. They've been listening for a long time they've been watching and they've felt your pull they they've heard you tug they've they've heard you speak to them and they've kind of put a hand up and said not now it's not the best time but things have not gone in our culture lord the way we've all wanted them to go you know that and we know that and they may be right there this morning saying you know what lord i need to submit I've been doing my own thing, resisting you, resisting your authority, resisting your offer of salvation, and I realize this is really an insane way to operate. I need to submit. Lord Jesus, I would submit to you, ask you to come into my life that you would forgive me of my sins and that you would save me. And Lord Jesus, I pray for this in your name. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, it's the most important prayer you've ever prayed in your life. If you've done that, let me know either this morning or uh, online by email. Uh, Just touch base with me, all right? Another parallel. There's another parallel with this story up here. Uh, The campsite. Up on top, there were thousands of people that stood vigil for the miners. We've got Uh, picture up there and it doesn't show the whole thing but it's the best that we could come up with you know what the the name of the camp was campamento esperanza yeah doesn't that do it for you you know what that name means it was the camp of hope just like our series the camp of hope they had hope both the miners and the families because of the rescue efforts that were on the way Likewise, the hope of heaven keeps us focused on God and his kingdom. Why? Because the rescue effort is on its way. Don't ever think that God is not faithful. Don't ever think that God is not good. Don't ever think he's gotten old or senile, forgotten, or no longer capable. He knows the exact timing and the right timing of history, and he will pull the trigger when it's time for him to pull the trigger. Our job is to stay vigilant and keep looking. Sometimes we just kind of fall asleep on the job, right? Fall asleep on our shift. But there is great hope because the rescue effort is on the way. How does this tie into our message today? Well, the Gentiles were like those miners trapped in the mine. If you think about it, being in the position of a Gentile, there was no way out. There was no possible escape. There wasn't anything they could do to affect a different outcome. There was hope for the Jews because of the promises God had given to them. But for the Gentiles, they were locked in darkness with no hope of rescue. And here comes the shocker. this We take this so for granted that it's hard to capture the shock factor of this because we're so familiar with it. But Jesus came for the Jews but he also came for the Gentiles. Okay, that's the shocker. Simeon sees this when he sees the baby Jesus in the temple and he prays over him. Look at Luke chapter two. It says here, Lord, this is Simeon speaking. Now you are letting your servant depart. The Lord had told Simeon he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. You you will be here until you see my promise. So Simeon prays this. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Notice there that Simeon himself is quoting Isaiah and ties it into his prayer because it's dawning on him that God has told him this is a much bigger picture. Luke records something that's really unexpected for Simeon to say. That this child, Jesus, would be a light for revelation to who? To the Gentiles. Do you think the Jews cared about that? No. They didn't care what really happened to the Gentiles as long as they were saved. Something new was opening up here. What was it? Hope for the Gentiles. Look at Matthew chapter 4. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Uh, you've probably heard those scriptures read to you every Christmas as you were growing up, right? Northern Israel, to catch the where northern Israel was at this time in history, had been destroyed by the Assyrians and although still Jewish in effect, uh, it was kind of a Heinz 57 territory, Right? Uh, Samaritans lived there, Jews lived there, Arabs lived there, and Gentiles lived there, including the Romans who occupied the whole area. So it was kind of a a catch-all basin for everything. Notice that it's called Galilee of the what? Gentiles. Not called Galilee of the Jews, it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. This is where most of Jesus' ministry would take place, and this is why the Pharisees were so quick to attach the label to him, you're a Samaritan. Aren't we right in calling you a Samaritan? That's why, because he was ministering in kind of the apostate territory. If he was really the Messiah, he would have come to Jerusalem. What are you doing over there in the wrong side of the neighborhood on the other side of the tracks? Wrong place for a Messiah to go. This is also the area of Mount Hermon, or Homan, as the Jews would say it, and the gates of Pan, or as Jesus so famously called it, what? The gates of hell. This is where Jesus set up his ministry, And of course, it was here that uh, Jesus proclaimed, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Remember Simon had said, when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They were standing right there on Mount Hermon. They probably could see the cave that is called the Cave of Pan that is known as the Gates of Hell. You can go there today. Well, actually, you can't, okay, because of curfew. But if you could, you can still go there. I say that somewhat humorously because we were supposed to be there in March, right? My fourth time trying to go to Israel. That's okay. I'll see the New Jerusalem. It's all right. All right. But you can still actually see this place, and if not, there's always Google. All right, so... By the way, uh, we'll take a little closer look at this next week when we cover hope for the church. But as for the Gentiles, suddenly a whole new window opened up. What's the window? There's hope. There's hope for us. God has not forgotten us. And that hope would be in this child whose birth we celebrate this time of year. To emphasize and underline the point, Matthew pulls from Isaiah and quotes from one of his most famous prophecies. This is found in Matthew 12. And he's quoting Isaiah. He says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, our brains just click there and go proclaim justice to the Jews. That's not what it says. We don't realize how shocking and startling it is. I will proclaim justice To the Gentiles, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will what? Hope. We have hope because Jesus came. The Gentile nations, that's us sitting here this morning, have hope because Jesus came. A bruised reed. And by the way, we often think of this uh, as to Jewish people, but a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. That's to the Gentile nations. He's going to take the battered, bruised people of the world and he's going to bring them to himself. There's one more parallel uh, to Jesus coming at Christmas with the Chilean mining disaster. I want to go back one more time. Uh, Before they brought anybody up, they didn't just drop the elevator down that mile or half-a-mile shaft dropped down with a little sign, who would like to be in first? Okay? That's not how they did it. When they first went down, what they did is they had to send somebody down in that shaft before they could send somebody up in that shaft. Isn't that cool? They had to send a worker down first. And the reason was so that he could help them know how to get out properly. And they would know how to get in the right way and then be able to work the elevator. Again, it, after all, it was a half-mile ride. And I doubt that there were lights. I doubt that there was, I mean, and even if there's lights, all you're seeing is rock in front of your face going by like this, okay? That's what you saw. Likewise, before anybody could get to heaven, somebody had to come down. Somebody had to come down to a shaft and come to this planet. Somebody had to come down and tell us how to get out, tell us the way to get out, tell us uh, how it worked. And his name is Jesus, this child we celebrate at Christmas. Always is, always was, always will be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that includes the Gentile nations. That includes us again, people. Jesus showed us the way. Jesus showed us how to get there. Where's the there? There is heaven. He showed us how to get there to be with him. And so Jesus came down to what? Give us hope. Our hope this morning is not in the circumstances of our culture. Our hope this morning is not in the circumstances of our government. Our hope this morning is not in some rescue effort that will happen in the world. Hopefully that will all happen, right? But our hope this morning is is in this child that came, that took away our sins. And he came both for the Jew and more shockingly and surprisingly, for the Gentile. We should be. That's why when you talk about joy, and I often say joy is a choice because you look at everything going on, you have to choose joy, right? Well, how do you choose joy? You look towards that person. You look towards Jesus, and Jesus gives you hope. And when you have hope, You have joy. And we, as the Gentile nations, we should be the most grateful people on the planet. Not only should we be the most grateful people on the planet, we should be the most hopeful people on the planet. His incredible kindness to us who were not His people is astonishing. We have been made His people. Have you thought about that? We have been made His people. That's miraculous. That's stunning. That should never get old. That should never get ho-hum, whatever. So what? That should never get there. We should always hold that hope and that joy. If Christmas is anything, above all else, it's a season of gratefulness right? A season of gratefulness to rehearse the story once again, how God called a people out of great darkness into what? His marvelous light, his great hope. Anybody want to say amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to walk through that. What a joy to just lay that out again. And and, uh, Lord, that illustration of the Chilean miners' The, the realizing the absolute destitution of their situation. Nowhere to go, no hope, and caught in complete darkness. God, and, and that was us. And you rescued us. Lord, I can't make that real this morning, but you can. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, you can do that. You can light it up. You can get us to see it again in new ways. And you, Lord, can put the appreciation factor in there. And I think that's what we need. Uh, instead of looking at all that's going wrong, Lord, we need to look at what has gone right, what you did to rescue us. And Lord, we need to keep our eyes on you and keep that appreciation and keep that joy. Uh, Lord, because you're our choice. And joy is a choice. Yes, the name is Jesus. May we continue to have that joy through this season and we give that to you in your name. Amen.
0: I'm to invite you to stand with us as you're able as we close this morning.
1: he pierced my heart with love this is jesus king of glory here to rescue from the fall son of god who comes to save us prince of peace and
2: lord of all
1: Jesus.
4: That was a brilliant mix, wasn't that? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. A daily I am constrained to be. All right? Let's be constrained, Christian family. Let's be constrained by His grace. Let's be constrained by hope. Let's be constrained by joy. Not fear and anxiety and worry. Let's lean in, not out. All right, let's pray. Father, give us Your amazing grace. Help us operate in that. Help us keep our eyes on You. Help us stay in the word. Help us keep praying. Help us not to give up hope. And we ask this in your name. God's people said, amen. All right, blessings on you, and thanks for coming. And uh, by the way, if you're newer visiting this morning, we're going out through the back doors that way because we sanitized the lobby. So if you could help us with that, that would be really appreciated. Thank you, and Merry Christmas.